Welcome to Illumination by Modern Campus. Through this series, we'll be speaking to college and university leaders about the trends, ideas, and opportunities that are shaping the future of higher education and picking their brains for best practices and advice that leaders can apply to their own institutions. On today's episode, the Evolution's Editor-in-Chief, Ahmed Alawalia, speaks with Vincent Del Casino, who is Provost and Senior Vice President of Academic Affairs at San Jose State University. We talked to Vin about the importance of personalized experiences and how to reinvent learner pathways. Let's get into it. Thank you, Vin, for joining me for today's episode of Illumination by Modern Campus. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. It's nice to see you. Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's dive right into it. We're talking about personalized learner experiences. We're talking about reinventing pathways into the institution. Starting off right at the top, why is it so important to personalize learner experiences when you're trying to drive uh, students to, to learn more about your institution and to bring them in the door in the first place? I think what's happened in higher education, you know, we have this very intense landscape of, for lack of a better word, sort of at some level competition, right? We're all looking at similar students. There's been a lot of demographic change. There's a lot more personalization in the hands of students before they come to higher education. And so I think a lot of us are asking, like, what are the ways you think about attracting, but also retaining, you know, students long term? And I think students are looking for a connection, right? They're looking for that relationship, just like when people are now entering the workforce and they're looking at organizations that are going to give back to them. Salaries are important, but the benefits sort of question is as important in today's market for jobs. I think the same sorts of questions are being asked of higher education. What are the quote unquote wraparound services that come alongside the educational mission? What are the ways in which I'm going to engage that? How can my journey as a student be connected to that, but also reflect who I am as a learner, as well as a a kind of citizen in this new community. So I think all those things are happening simultaneously and it's impacting how students are starting to look at institutions. And I think institutions are thinking then, how do we respond back out to attract that attention to that type of learner who's really thinking about this in a different way? Absolutely. I mean, it's so interesting that that question of fit is so high on the list of priorities when a learner is looking for for the right school for them. We know that, you know, 80% of prospective students are going to enroll at five or fewer institutions. It makes it really, really important for a college or university to show that student at a very early stage, you know, here are the clubs that might be aligned with your interests. Here's the programming that's going to be aligned with your interests. Here's the key dates that you need to keep up with. Here's a virtual tour of our campus and building that structure in a way that that brings them down the funnel in a way that, that feels right to that learner. These aren't new ideas though. I mean, the e-commerce industry has been doing this for for at least a decade. So you, you mentioned that the idea of competition just now, and I want to hone in on that slightly because higher education has always been a somewhat competitive marketplace, especially for institutions at, at that caliber that SJSU is at. But as sort of boot camps and newer program offerings start to come into the, the industry, has that heightened the recognition of the fact that Okay, as, as post-secondary institutions, we, we have to take a very different approach than we have been to making sure students see the value and see that fit early. You know, I think it really depends. You know, um, the demographic kind of dynamics that are driving some of the intensity, plus, a, you know, over the last 30 or 40 years, uh, the political economy of higher education has changed dramatically. And the amount of 
economic input that a student makes to their learning experience versus what happened in the 60s, 70s into the early 80s. That's when it really started to change is very different. So there's sort of a mentality about what one is you know, getting themselves into when they're asking these sorts of questions. The competition has become a little more intense as well as some universities decided to become national players in a different way through online education. There are companies and organizations who are looking at reskilling their own workforce as opposed mm -hmm. to partnering with higher education institutions. There are people who are seeing alternative pathways into the workforce that doesn't include higher education. And so all of that is combining to have force us to look at ourselves a little bit and ask, you know, what is that value add when one gets this degree? And, you know, I believe in all the pieces that we have always stuck to, you know, there is the holistic person, there's the questions of the mind, there's the idea to think and kind of reflect and learn all kinds of methodologies and so forth. But that has to be translated in a deeper way into the pathways that students are going to experience once they hit your institution and beyond. And the advantage that a San Jose State has had and continues to have is those partnerships with, let's say, Silicon Valley industry and so forth. So internship experience, high impact practices, adding those kind of values to an education that, again, a student can go, oh, I see where I make the connections here. And that's something that, you know, I've been invested in for quite some time, even before I got here and, and thinking about that. And the last thing, which is so interesting, there, there's always been a somewhat of a tension in the academy around the notion of, you know, that co-curricular and, you know, how, how does that devalue education? And it, when we start to shift the conversation that teaching and learning happens everywhere in an institution, and then we start to acknowledge that teaching and learning, which again is not embedded in transcripts, it's not embedded in the documents we, we give students, we don't do a great job necessarily of articulating the learning outcomes and the kind of skills students have. That's the thing we have to do to start to shift so that when they leave, they have a really good story to tell about their learning experience when they decide either to go to graduate school or move on into the workforce next. But I think students are looking for those maps. They're looking for ways in which they can connect all the dots. And it's heightened, I think, at this point in time. So to your mind, I mean, the institutions that are faster when it comes to highlighting these co-curricular engagements, when it comes to highlighting the opportunity for internships, the employers that you could work with, the opportunities for work-integrated learning, these are the schools that are really going to start to stand out as we move forward in, in this very competitive market that we're currently in. I do think that is the case, um, especially in places where the demographic shifts are so stark where you're not seeing as many traditional learners moving in. The secondary thing, and you and I have talked a lot about this, is the entire shift in the learners themselves. Yeah. You know, The adult learner continuing education population, those with some college, no degree. I'm not sure a lot of traditional, and I use that, traditional higher ed institutions, the ones who've largely relied on the two core pipelines of freshmen and transfer students right out of community colleges, are really prepared for all the, that kind of change in the learning that's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think having to pivot in different ways and think about multiple sets of constituencies that 10, 15 years ago, a few institutions were talking about, 
I think almost every institution has to be having that conversation now. And if they don't, they're going to find themselves in a very different place vis-a-vis the sort of student experience and the student body that they have. You know, it's, it's interesting as you, as you raise that, because as demographics start to evolve, and I promise you, I'm actually going to bring us back to the topic of personalization here. So let's, let's see how this wave rides. But as the institution starts serving more diverse demographics, and as you said, I mean, at least the importance of the adult population is growing and growing and growing. Uh, we are facing an enrollment cliff when it comes to our traditional age students at most parts of the country. All of a sudden, that personalization of, of the early stage website becomes incredibly important because the things that are going to be valuable to, say, a junior who's starting their college research process versus a a senior who's basically just looking for for cost and final checks on fit versus a single mother who's slightly outside the service area of an institution, but that institution happens to have the right program for them based on employment outcomes. The the data that they want to see is totally different. And the information that's going to be valuable to them is totally different. So how does the institution scale personalization to the extent that the right learners are finding the right information at the right time that's going to drive their enrollment habits? Yeah, it's a really great question. There's multiple layers to that. There's a lot in that. The first of which is, um, and I know this ties into the web experience that you're talking about, some of the things. So I will get there too. So the, the first layer though is the, what is shifted for higher ed is the storytelling that one needs to invest in as an institution so that students see themselves in the university. Many of them have been here for a long time. We didn't invent internships in the last five years, right? They have long been part of the learning experience, especially, again, at a place like San Jose State with very robust programs in STEM and business and other things like that, and the arts and, and in fact, design and those things. So our students have a lot of those experiences. But to see themselves in that experience means you have to have a more centralized focus on strategic communication and marketing than you've ever had to have as an institution. And those are very hard words to get across in an academic context, because people are like, we're not here to market, you know, what we do. And yet what students are looking for and their parents and their partners or, you know, anybody involved in their education is looking for is some of those returns that you're going to get. And it's not just tied to salary. I think we've now seen this generation, again, is more benefits oriented, more community oriented, more networked oriented, like they want a good quality of life, right? So you have to start to provide that. Now to the personalization component, you know, web pages are, I mean, despite all the advances, it's actually very difficult to build responsive designed websites that really personalize experience, at least in higher ed, because it's a resource expectation. One, we can't be competitive for programmers and other stuff like that. So you have to go outside and partner. You have to figure that kind of stuff out. But the things that you can do, to your point, is you can create a much more visual forward medium for students to engage. You can bring much more of the student voice to the table. They could see themselves in these experiences. Some of the campuses that have done this well, 
and I would not include ours right now, to be honest, but have done it well, really have learning outcomes and like the skills that are coming out of a history major, anything, you know, Burning Glass, MC, these companies are doing all this stuff now to break down the silos around, well, this major leads to this degree. We know that's not true, but telling that story effectively and then getting people to engage in that story is critical. So that interface, that first moment, and you're right, students are going to find you through a web presence at this point. They're going to engage you. That's their portal. And if you, it's like anything, if you lose them, you're, you're toast, right? And if you don't have an apply button on every page, and if you if you let them loop out all over the place, you're not going to connect them because you're not guiding them through a story. But the question is then how do they see themselves in the kind of choices they're making as they're looking? So I think that's one level. I think there's a secondary level we could probably talk about, which is the actual on-campus experience and how that becomes connected to some of these different technological possibilities in some ways easier than in the past contrary to what i just said because we're more in a software than a hardware world when it comes to some of the solutions in front of us so and to your point i mean i think that the best websites are the ones that can adequately reflect the values the experience and the opportunity of the physical campus if that's what that learner happens to be looking for Right. right. Maybe the physical campus is the wrong way of describing this. I mean, maybe it's that the website is how you reflect the experience that that learner is going to get, regardless of how they choose to engage with the institution. But if that upfront experience is choppy or is directed at someone who's clearly not me, then it, it becomes really hard to see that as being maybe one of those five schools that, that ultimately gets applied to. No, I think that's 100 percent right. The students coming in are relatively savvy. And if they see that kind of random experience in their web, they're going to map it onto what their learning experience will be. And it's especially true if you don't have a pretty solid market presence, or if you're in that changing demographic space. As you know, in California, there's been a heavy reliance on the, well, you know, we have really solid public higher education and they're going to come. And that's not necessarily true across all the institutions anymore. I think it's part of that wake up call that we're starting to see that the same kinds of things that are, you know, that you've seen in other parts of the country are going to be seen in California, especially when campuses can do so much more than they've done before. But yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And, you know, the reliance even on text, the amount of text that you have in websites and things like that. You have got to kind of connect to how people enjoy learning. And it's a different kind of medium than it has been in the past. Let me ask you a question that in any court of law would be objected to for leading. Why do provosts need to care about this? Because this is it's not a topic yeah. that many folks in, in the chief academic officer's position is generally going to be thinking that much about when it comes to marketing the institution, when it comes to positioning and branding, when it comes to like how that enrollment cycle works. So how do we get this on the radar of provosts as something that needs to be cared about, needs to be invested in, needs to be supported? Because generally it just, it tends to fall into the realm of, of operations. Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, you know, as a provost, one of the things I'm always looking toward is how do I really show off the amazing stuff that the faculty and the students and the staff 
that this institution do, mm-hmm. right? And there is a point at which when you're looking for community connections, you're looking for partnership with the city or the county or the state, you're looking for grant dollars, right? You're looking for the new students that we're talking about. All of those are tied into this because people start to understand your institution in relationship to all these other things that are going on. So as a provost then, I'm like, how do we get the voices of all these amazing people out there to be part of the conversations. So we've actually made direct investments in some of that to train faculty on how to write opinion pieces, you know, take their complicated work and translate it to public audiences. We, this is another thing that's come out of our decision to sort of, not mine, but the campus's decision to do more in the strategic communication space, we're just better at outreaching and saying, we've got an expert on X. I know this topic is really important. And what that does is a number of things. It produces pride in your institution. Like people look around and go, yeah, you're, and this is the thing about higher ed. It's the dirty little secret, right? We all can't get jobs at the quote unquote best universities or the top elite places. So there are geniuses everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like there are amazing people and students everywhere. And you can walk into a class at San Jose State or the private liberal arts school where I went and you could see just as dynamic a conversation, right? And, And that's for a variety of reasons, but it's because the talent's in both places. So having a presence out there in the world as a provost, helps me do my job better, helps you recruit and retain faculty, helps you attract top talent to the campus in both your undergraduate and your graduate programs. It helps you go out and ask donors to support your institution, right? We want to do X and they'll be like, oh yeah, well, I've seen you're really good at X. We should invest in there as opposed to having to tell them your entire life story by, you know, if, if you get over a page with a donor, you've already lost them, right? Mm-hmm. So those kind of things matter a lot. And being a little more focused on this type of conversation, I think, again, 10, 15 years ago, that was probably not on the desk of most provosts. But I think it has to be, in partnership with all your cabinet members and others, it has to be a critical part of what you're doing. And if it's not, you're going to find yourself in your institution kind of positioned, perhaps in a way that's not going to advantage it in the long run. You know, it's it's interesting that, and you used a very specific term there that triggered something for me, that it's a way of making sort of the knowledge and the learning of the institution accessible. I mean, that's the foundation of the land grant movement. That's the foundation of the Morrell Act. It's the foundation of of our public system of higher education is the idea of how do we put all these geniuses in a room and give space to learn and to grow and to build knowledge. But then how do we activate that information so that everyday people can, can use it for their purposes and, and to better their lives. And it's interesting to see that mission start to be executed in a new media. What's interesting here too, is as you were saying that it became very evident, like the role of the provost is in, you know, chief academic officer, but by the same token, it's how do we re-envision the relationship between learners and the institution? Bringing me back to the topic of personalization, I mean, how do you envision that relationship evolving over time as learning engagements become shorter, as individuals are increasingly seasoned consumers? How does the relationship between students and the institution evolve over time? This is a really important question. I think The answer is you have to create more on and off ramps 
You have to mm-hmm. let people come in. You have to let them move out. You have to let them do things at their pace. You have to create possibilities for things. The other thing, you know, again, one of the great not secret secrets of higher ed is students come to do a lot more than just the classes, right? There's a lot more learning that goes on. And so how you link those things together is not very well articulated in most institutions. So again, how do we help the students become the storytellers of their experience and what matters about why they've been here and what they've been able to do as a result of all the intersections there? So I think that's a component of this is that students need to reflect themselves back and go, oh, this is an institution that I'm connected with, but more importantly, that I can come back to when I'm ready to do the next thing, or I need this, or, you know, there's a short course on that. And the other thing is that those things don't have to be credit bearing, right? We are always struggling because it's like, oh, we've got this new requirement or that new requirement. It can't fit in the 120 units. And you're like, you know, students will gravitate towards things that are really interesting. There's an assumption that everything has to be toward that 120 and they're not that way, right? They do all these things. Um, The other thing is, how did they bring their own experience into the campus? And I think higher ed has struggled prior learning experience. It's struggled with how to bring, you know, those types of things in and demonstrate that, wow, you learned a lot there. That actually matters to us, you know, and we're not good at that. But I think we're going to be challenged much further there as well. Absolutely. It's interesting, right? Because this is an intersection, I think, between personalization and the 60-year experience. And I'll end with this, which is, you know, as you think about the capacity for personalization to transform enrollment funnels for traditional learners, I mean, how do we start to expand that vision to ensure that the institution sits at the hub of an individual's lifelong learning? Well, I think it starts with showing them that they're part of a community and that community extends into their everyday lives in a positive way that they've invited in. Because I think sitting at the intersection of this, which can't be ignored is the privacy debates around data, Mm -hmm. right? How much data does a student want to give you now in order for you to personalize their experience? And I think that's a big piece of this because I look at a place where, you know, 90 acres, middle of San Jose, 10th largest city in the country, Silicon Valley, there's a lot of things going on. It's not so obvious, except for the fact that you, you, you know you're at San Jose State, that you know you're at San Jose State. So imagine, you know, having a smart city sort of technology that understood who you were. And when you walk past the library, it would ping and go, hey, you're in a writing class. Did you know there's a writing workshop right now? We're not responding to students, but at the same time, students have to be able to go, That's the kind of experience I want. So it's all of those things. And to that effect, right, the other thing we learned from the pandemic is in virtual environments, people are showing up in bigger numbers. All our trainings, you know, you can have a thousand people, you know, show up for a talk and only a hundred of them are in the room, but 900 are online. The simulcasting experience will do a lot more to connect people again, right? And if I can click a few things and go, here's my genuine interest map. And I'm fed like, hey, did you know this talk? And it's being simulcast. So don't worry about driving an hour on the 101 at four o'clock in the afternoon. You can listen to this and engage it and ask questions and do all these things. And I think this is an inflection point in the context of higher education about how you do all of that well. 
that takes real infrastructure and investment to do that well. You can't just pull that off, you know, randomly. But I think those are the kinds of things that will really change the game and also then go, I can keep building my transcript beyond my degree. Like that's a roadmap to my future. And I need to go back to it over and over again. And badging is held and not held. You know, these there's been different ways this is operated. I don't think anyone's nailed this one yet, but there's a lot of important thinking that has to go on, especially given the fact that people are going to continue to move around in jobs and careers. That just seems to be a given right Uh at this point. This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, presidents and provosts can work with Modern Campus to create pathways for lifelong learners while marketing and IT can deliver Amazon-like personalization and instant fulfillment. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of today's modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.